the show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to the Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course, and I am so happy to finally be able to record with Sif Pop Writer and Managing Editor Ben. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? I am doing so good now because everything seems to be working, but earlier was a nightmare. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We write for Sif Pop, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. Make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. we got a great show for you this week. We're going to start off here on the pitch, which is great that we're now on schedule so far. Can't promise anything more after that. But then we're going to move to coming attractions, where we're going to give our thoughts on what's coming out this week. This week, we have two movies coming out. One of them is The Old Guard. That's a Netflix streaming movie. And one of them is Palm Springs on Hulu. Two very different movies, two very different streaming services, and two very different tones. And we're going to be kind of dissecting both that, both coming on July 10th. Uh, and then we're going to move on to the SIF topic, which is going to be comic book movies. And we figured, why not start with maybe the most iconic comic book movie, uh, comic book and comic book movie of all time, being Watchmen. We do not have a B-plot uh, today, but we'll tell you a little bit more about ways you can help with that. And uh, we're going to wrap up with a spinoff and give you a quick recommendation or uh, a warn. But first, let's get a chance to know our writer uh, slash managing editor this week. So, uh, Ben, when did you realize that you had a passion for movies? Since birth. In <laughs> uh, and, and all honesty, it's, it's been since I was a little kid watching Star Wars on the big screen for the first time back in 1997. And then watching all the classics like Jaws, Indiana Jones, the original 1989 Batman, and Terminator 2 with my grandmother growing up. I've been hooked ever since, and it wasn't really until I was around the age of 11 or 12 that I really started to get into film criticism and diving deep into the themes of them. And and with that film was Fight Club for me, really, is that that's really the inspiration behind that. Yeah, and what a great movie to get somebody into actually studying film. Yeah. So. Terrific. So when did you write, when did you start writing for SifPop.com? I got involved by being inspired by Blake Hodges to write Instagram blurbs for movies that I saw in theaters. One day he posted that he had an exciting opportunity for those interested in writing about movies and all all the stuff, all that stuff. And I jumped on that opportunity very quickly. <laughs> that opportunity ended up becoming SifPop, and I'm very, very glad that I stumbled upon his Instagram page probably back in 2015, 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. So that's that's really how I got involved. Yeah, Blake's a really great guy. Blake got all of us involved. Blake uh, is uh, recently uh, was our managing editor, kind of assembled the crew, got things on a normal routine, but uh, recently stepped down uh, as managing editor SifPop.com and Ben is taking over. I, I guess you have to have a name, Aaron, to host the SifPop podcast, and your name has to start with a B in order to be the managing editor for SifPop.com. But uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about that process. Tell us a little bit about what made you decide that that was the right decision moving forward. Well, for for, for me, um, it's I'm still really new. I haven't really you know made a stamp so far, but I'm very very excited for all the uh, the things that I am going to start implementing for us and. Of course, I was going to jump on this opportunity because I want to further my way in this industry. And why not? This is the perfect opportunity to to do that and to help give people an opportunity like Blake gave me, like Blake gave you, to find their voice and and hone their voice on Sif Pop. And I have really learned a lot in the past year writing for Sif Pop, and I'm hoping to give someone else that opportunity. 
Yeah, awesome. That's a really, really great vision. I really appreciate that. I have one quick question for you just to kind of ask another non-related question, but uh, red or blue? (laughs) Uh, Red. Red. Why red? Well, it's the color of NC State, man. And that is <laughs> that is my favorite college team, uh, aside from Duke and Carolina. Yes, I pull for NC State, Duke, and Carolina soon. Yeah, you know, one of the questions that I thought about asking was uh, the, the two worst of all evil, Clemson and Alabama, wind up giving getting in the final playoff game and who do you want to win? But that was that was reality this last year. So. Listen, I, I pull for Clemson all day every day also hashtag tank for trevor i'm a panthers fan i want trevor lawrence well you know i don't personally care too much about football but uh, i do have to root on my iowa city hawkeyes since uh, that is the town that i live in and you you have to root on the team of the town you live in hey spencer lee is a beast he's a wrestler for you guys yeah oh our wrestling team is absolutely phenomenal and i like going to the games the football games i just uh they're my team they got to be my team and all that Cool. Well, uh, now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit, the audience has gotten to know you just a little bit. Uh, let's move on to our coming attraction. We're going to talk about The Old Guard first. The Old Guard's movie coming out on Netflix if you have Netflix streaming. This is an upcoming movie starring Charlize Theron as well as Chiwetel Ejiofor as well as some other names you might recognize. It doesn't really have a, a director whose name I recognize uh, and the writers don't have recognition of those either. So I can't really tell you who. Uh, who is directing those because I don't have it in front of me. But uh, quick synopsis of this movie is a covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identity a secret just as an unexpected new member is discovered. That sounds a little bit like what I think I saw in the trailer. But uh, Ben, quick thought. what do you, you saw the trailer for this movie. You kind of take a look at the IMDb page and whatnot. What do you think your anticipation is, uh, for this movie is now? Normally, we're going to do the scale of opening weekend, matinee, rent, streaming, or never watch. And since this is a Netflix original and movie theaters are still closed, like we're going to be, just have to be a little bit creative with this. Obviously, this is going to be streaming category, but like, what's if this were released in the uh, in the theaters? Do you think that you'd be there opening weekend, wait for a matinee, rent it once it came out, wait till it came on a streaming service you already paid for, just not be interested in this movie? I'd probably wait for a matinee. I think this movie looks like a cross between Wanted and Deadpool. More so wanted, but it looks like a good time. You know, I wouldn't say I'm dying to see it. Like I said, I'd, I'd probably have, I'd probably see it like a matinee, but I'll definitely check it out. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for anything with Charlize Theron on top of being an incredible actress who, by the way, won an Oscar for her performance in Monster. That's directed by Patty Jenkins. Highly recommend that one. She has this commanding power to her on screen that makes her a very, very capable action star and really intimidating at the same time. (laughs) Not many people can pull that off. So I'm always down to see her kick some butt on the screen. And like you said, this movie has Chiwetel Ejiofor in it. And to me, he's one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood today. He has an Oscar nomination on his mantle with one of the it was like 2013 when he was nominated for 12 Years a Slave. You can make an argument that maybe he should have won that year. So I'm, I'm excited for it, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with both of those statements. I'm a big fan of Charlize Theron. I think I think she's got a wide range. I love see, I love her arc in Arrested Development. So, I mean, we know she has, she's a good uh, comedic actress. And we know that she can do uh, the, the action stuff really well, uh, especially here recently with Mad Max Fury Road and Atomic Blonde. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you. I think I get some Deadpool vibes from this, but I more so get like Atomic Blonde vibes for this. And b- both have the same director, David Leach, uh, which is – it kind of resembles resemblement of that, but I mean, I think Deadpool has a little bit more of that comedy worked into even the fight choreography. 
Whereas Atomic Blonde is just a straight up, really intense, adrenaline filled, uh, John Wick esque type of type of movie going for it. And uh, uh, I, I get lots of vibes from that, but I also get like a little bit more of like a like a Gladiator, or Kingdom of Heaven kind of like because there's some scenes from this trailer that if you've seen this trailer that there there's some old school weapons brought into it. And it looks really sweet, but if you're part of the Zero Frames movement, then uh, uh, you haven't seen that, of course. And uh, this looks like it's trying to be two different movies, and there's a little bit of of disconnect there. And I think that the action scenes look like shot really well that I really am interested in seeing this movie, but I, I think it's just going to wind up being overcomplicated and, and a little bit of a mess. I think I'm going to enjoy watching it, but I'm not going to really enjoy the movie itself, but, but I'm still really excited for this movie. I still would really want to check it out. I'm also going to say matinee screening and uh, I, I'm not, again, for my reservations, I don't really want to check it out immediately and pay opening weekend prices. Uh, but I think this movie has, the fight choreography looks really well that I would like to see the action on the big screen, which is just one of those things that's unfortunate for a lot of these Netflix releases, especially since most of them also don't make it into theaters. I mean, I haven't seen Extraction yet, but like that would be a great example of one I'd rather see on the big screen or, or Six Underground. Like uh, some, some of these high intense action movies, the Justice League cut, which I know you're really excited for, Ben. I mean, would you would you much rather see that in the in the theaters than on HBO Max? If I could bribe someone to just let me see that movie on IMAX, I know it's rumored to be a four hour cut of the movie or almost roughly four hours. I would gladly pay to see that movie in IMAX over seeing it on streaming at home, which I'm sure it's, it's just as good, but certain movies are made for the big screen and movie like justice league is definitely made for the big screen. Now with this one, it, it, it feels like extraction. I can probably enjoy it just as much at home as I do on the big, as you would on the big screen, uh, just in the comfort of my own home, especially the, the type of vibe I'm getting from this movie. I'd be okay with seeing it at home. You know, it's a matinee watch. I wouldn't mind paying to watch it, but it's, it's certainly more of a, a matinee watch. At least that's what the vibe is. It could, I could end up seeing it being blown away by it. I like David Leach. So yeah, this, uh, to, for clarity, this movie, the old guard is not directed by David Leach, but just has oh. similar styles. Okay. Uh, I, I have no idea who the director is, but I, I would be really surprised if they don't release justice league Snyder cut in theaters in sub capacity. I mean, maybe not IMAX because there's a lot of restrictions, on uh, on the length of showtime show shows that get in there especially if it's re- releasing in june on hbo max you know it's uh I, I don't know if they've confirmed that i think they just said 2021 but uh, yeah it's just 2021 for now and uh I, I i don't know unless they were able to finagle it into like a J- february or march when there's not really any imax competition i would be happy if that thing dropped on january 1st 2021 <laughs> i want it now <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you're a lot more excited about that than I am, but I, uh, I, I'm still excited about it. And anyway, I think this is one of those movies that I think might play a little bit better on a big screen for me. I think, uh, I think having that advantage and part of that is that crowd. I mean, I'm going to reference another comic book movie, but Avengers Endgame, I think to me is so impactful because of that opening night crowd where, I mean, it felt like a baseball stadium in that theater or maybe not baseball. It felt like, it felt like an Iowa Hawkeyes football game in that stadium. It was, uh, it was just a blast. I, um. I don't know that I get that same experience when I watch it at home. I still enjoy the movie and I still get giddy on the inside, but there, there's something really exciting about when I get really giddy and the person next to me gets really giddy because all of a sudden Cap is wielding Molnir. Spoilers for a one-year-old $3 billion grossing movie. And it's that communal experience. There's something about the feeding off the energy of the people around you and, yeah, and knowing they're enjoying it as much as you are or right. maybe, you know, and it's not it's, just it's, it's not just comic book movies that it does that for too as well. I mean, I got that same experience each time I saw the John Wicks in theaters. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's not just an experience. I mean, seeing the person next to you go, oh, damn. Like, it's just a fun, it's a fun time. And I kind of want that in this movie. But, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little happy that Netflix is having it because I'm more likely to watch it and I'm more likely to watch it sooner as opposed to potentially waiting for a matinee showing. I don't know. There's not much I really have to say about this. You're right. Chiwetel Ejiofor is great. I, th- I think he's a, I don't know if he's overrated because I think most people hold him in pretty high regard. I think he's a, he's underutilized in a lot of things. I really like him as Mordo and Dr. Strange. I think he's phenomenal in 12 years of slave. Uh, I think he's, he's an overall really great actor, uh, but I think people recognize that. And I'd like to see him in more. I think we're going to get that. And I'd like to see him in more leading roles as opposed to, I mean, it's more of a supporting role. He looks to be, he might be pretty involved in it, but I'd like to see him take on more, more leading roles. Yeah. He's a leading man. I want to see him do some uh, do some more of that because you know last time he really led a movie, he got an Oscar nomination and again. You know, some argue maybe should have won. Yeah, of course, and there's definitely an argument to be made about that. There's one other positive I have about this movie that I want to bring up, and that's that uh, one of the writers for this is based off a graphic novel, so similarly to Atomic Blonde, Charlie's starring in a comic book directed in this sort of fashion. I mean, it seems very Atomic Blonde to me, but one of the writers of the comic book is also a writer of the screenplay to this movie. And I mean, that has its advantages because they know the source material, they know what they're working with, they know the story, they know the direction everything wants to go, they know these characters, they spent plenty of time with them, but also like... Sometimes writers and comics and writers for books doesn't translate to the big screen. I mean, look at look at Seth Graham Smith. I mean, I personally think Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is an amazing book. It's a terrible movie. And he did the screenplay for it. And he's been fired from the Flash movie. I, he's, he's done some other ones that just haven't turned out to be really good. I, I mean, so it's maybe a little bit of a pro and a con. What do you think? Yeah, well, <clears throat> they're two different skill sets. That's why I'm always a little trepidatious when I, when I hear – that the writer of the book is writing the screenplay. Sometimes it works very well. Sometimes it does not. And it just depends, you know. Uh, Sometimes it can translate very well. Like I know, what's that movie that came out in 2013? Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz, Michael Fosbender, directed by Ridley Scott. Oh, oh, it's the, uh, the inform, no, the uh, counselor. Yeah, the counselor. All right, the person who wrote that book i believe also wrote the movie and it didn't really work very well and that's not to say that's always the case yeah and it's not always the case you know i know the person uh, what was the last it was crimes of grindelwald jk rowling wrote the story for that movie and again sometimes it doesn't translate well to the screen yeah and it's one of those things that's constantly in the back of my head yeah i'm currently reading i mentioned last week on the podcast that i'm I'm currently reading uh, Without Remorse by Tom Clancy, which is coming out on the big screen this September. And Jordan, I'm, a, I'm really enjoying this book. But I also just wonder, I mean, Tom Clancy is no longer living, but I, I'm wondering uh, whoever is taking over this property. First of all, this is a, it's a long book. It's got a long story. It's got a lot of things. I, I'm 250 pages in and out of a 750 page book. And I already think there's enough for a movie. But, but I think that there's just as many cases of people that take over. I mean, you look at The Martian. From what I understand, it's a great book. I actually bought it recently. So I, I have that on my shelf to read. Indeed, a fantastic book. But but Drew Goddard's screenplay is fantastic. Yeah, and I, I mean that 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 was that wound up being really great. So I don't know. I, I think that for for whatever we say, whether it's, whether the person who wrote the source materials on the is on the next thing, I think that uh, I think that that could go either way. It doesn't really do anything to move my needle up or down. Uh, it could be could be great or terrible. I don't know. There's not much of this movie. I think it's going to be overcomplicated and a mess, and it could just be the way the trailers cut. That's oftentimes a lot of the way that it is. 
I don't know. I just, to me, it looks a little bit of a mess, but it looks, the action looks good enough. And I mean, Charlie's and Chiwetel are, they have a pretty good track record. So yeah, I would catch a matinee. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah. So probably translating to, to a Netflix release, I'll probably catch it, but it might take me a couple months or definitely a couple weeks at least. Cool. Anything more to say about this movie? You want to move on to Palm Springs? Let's move on to Palm Springs, man. I'm excited to talk about this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about this one too. So first of all, your main character, your main actors, you have uh, Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Malati, who is most known for playing the mother in How I Met Your Mother, and you have J.K. Simmons, who was in the trailer only just a little bit. So I don't, I wonder if he was one of those. Uh, we just got J.K. Simmons, and he's a really notable actor. The the plot synopsis for this uh, Palm Springs, which, by the way, is going to be is a Hulu original, so it'll be available to stream on Hulu starting July 10th as well. Uh, is that when Carefree Niles, that is uh, Andy Samberg's character, and reluctant maid of honor Sarah, Krista Malati, have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other. And it's a pretty vague plot synopsis, but essentially what you're getting is a Groundhog's Day scenario where there's a destination wedding, and Krista Malati is the maid of honor, and think hooks up with Andy Samberg. I don't... I, don't know if the trailer's clear about that, but they definitely get together at least in a platonic way, and they're uh, they're both doing Groundhog Day, like they're both aware and reliving the same day over and over again. It's unclear whether J.K. Simmons is or not as well, but at least to some some pretty funny moments. Andy Samberg's a really funny guy. The trailer had me laugh a couple of times. I I think this is uh, this is opening weekend for me. This was in theaters. I'd be there opening night uh, because this is Hulu. Man, you guarantee I'm there July 10th. I'm watching this movie. What about you, Ben? Yeah, see, <clears throat> I love Andy Samberg. I will highly recommend this movie. It's called Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. That movie is criminally underrated. It didn't do too well at the box office, but it is indeed a really, really, really funny movie. Of course, I love How I Met Your Mother. Her role in that's a little limited, but what's the actress's name again? Uh, Kristen Malati. Her role was limited in that, but she was great in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, I've seen her in some other things too. It, to me, this movie it, it looks like uh, like you said Groundhog Day or like Happy Happy Death Day to you, but it, it doesn't look just like a yuck yuck comedy where it's just the jokes you're going for. It looks like it has a little bit of heart to it and a little bit of message to it. And I, I love comedies, and I particularly love comedies that don't just go for the laughs; they go to pull at your heartstrings as well. And that's kind of what this movie looks like it's trying to do. It's trying to tell you or, you know, give you a message as well as make you laugh. And it looks really, really heartfelt. It looks really, really funny. The cast is great. Again, the addition of J.K. Uh, Simmons, I, I love that guy. He's uh, one of my one of the funniest roles, roles he's ever done is in I Love You, Man, uh, with his, you know, his best friend from college, Hank Mardukas. Hank Mardukas. Yeah. <laughs> Hank Mardukas. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited about this. In fact, I didn't even know that this was a movie until you informed me of it. And I am very happy that you did because the trailer looks very funny. It looks very heartfelt. I'm excited. Yeah, I was pretty unaware of this movie as well. I just came across the, the reviews have started to come out for this. I've been seeing that every now and then. And uh, yeah, the closer we get, the more I keep hearing about it. And I'm a pretty big Andy Samberg follower. By the way, I'd like to add that I was uh, definitely one of those that contributed to the box office of pop star. I went and saw that with my girlfriend at the time and uh, really, really appreciated that movie. Uh, l- loved it instantly. I've, I've loved it more each each rewatch. I listen to the soundtrack frequently. That's a, that's a really great movie. Uh, Krista Malati wanted to go back to her. She is uh, she's in Sleepwalk with me, 2012. Mike Birbiglia wrote direct that movie. 
really great movie, really like independent, not very well seen movie. It's a great movie. She plays uh, Teresa in The Wolf of Wall Street. That's uh, Leo's first wife before Margot Robbie. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she she plays uh, Betsy in Fargo in uh, 2015. So that must have been season two. And uh, she is also in the USS Callister Black Mirror episode. She plays the main female lead in that episode, which is arguably the best Black Mirror episode. Yeah. So uh, there's, again, a writer and a director. I don't know to this movie, but uh, I just mostly because I didn't bother to, to check to see if they've actually done anything that I've written. Uh, but I also figure we have two movies to talk about. And I already know based off the trailer and based off of the cast, based on everything, I th- I laughed three times, like really big in the trailer, especially with the uh, with the officiate, which I won't spoil that joke for <laughs> yeah. you. But especially, especially if you want that joke fresh when you stream it on Hulu. By the way, I'm going to say this. I uh, I really think that for the old guard, I, th- I think you'd be OK to watch a trailer. I think for Palm Springs, just go ahead and and just watch this movie fresh when it comes out on Hulu, because uh, some of the jokes I think are still going to land. I'm never I'm going to purposely not watch this trailer anymore because I want the jokes to feel fresh. I want the plot to feel fresh. I want the characters to feel fresh. I don't know that it matters so much for the old guard, but uh, but if you're one of those people that really cares about the first experience, if you if you're one of those people that can watch even like re- even read spoilers and that not affect your movie experience, then fine, go ahead and watch the Palm Springs trailer. But if you can avoid it, just stay away from it. I don't think it spoils anything. But yeah, and. Here's the other thing. I love these Groundhog Day style movies. I uh, Groundhog's Day is a classic, and I'm a big fan of both Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. I know there's other movies and TV show episodes that are like that. There's but my favorite Supernatural episode ever is in season three, and it's Sam has to watch Dean die over and over again. And every time Dean, di- Dean dies, the day restarts. I love these kind of, of story arcs. And I know it's been done several times before, but I, I think there's so many fresh and original ways that you can do it. And you look at nobody ever thought about putting that in a horror movie, at least got the budget to back uh, a pretty, pretty successful movie until happy death day to you and set, making this take place during a wedding. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of things that unfold. And this movie looks charming. It looks funny. Uh, I'm a big fan of Andy Samberg. I think Brooklyn nine, nine is one of the best TV shows running right now. And I think that that show is great also because it has the capability of pulling at the heart streets because Andy Samberg himself, I think really has that capability. I mean, he's most known for his, for his SNL stuff and his lonely Island stuff that pop star, never stop, never stopping. And that, you know, the shooting AKA dear sister and, 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 and lonely Island stuff like that. But he definitely has the capacity. You can see it in, especially the more recent Brooklyn Nine Nine seasons. I, I, I'm very interested to see. He, he looks like somebody that can never be as serious to take like a role like when Steve Carell did Foxcatcher. But I, I, I'm interested whenever he's going to do a comedy, uh, a drama. Sorry, not a comedy. Uh, you never know. Adam Sandler. There's three movies of his that I, I point to. You know, because everyone looks at him. He's like, oh, that's the Happy Gilmore guy. That's the. Uh, Big Daddy guy, that's the Billy Madsen guy. All right, so you're talking about Uncut Gems, Punch Drunk, Punch Drunk Love, and what's the third one? Uh, Rain Over Me. Okay, I've never I've never seen Punch Drunk Love or Rain Over Me. But. He's a terrific dramatic actor, and there's something about comedic actors, if they are good at comedy, can always translate very well to drama. And you see it happen often. Jim Carrey did it, or, you know, has done. Yeah, and and uh, and John Krasinski is a great recent example of that. Yeah, uh, Steve Carell, Robin Williams is probably Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy. Great examples of that. They can translate. Yeah, Robin Williams probably had the best range, uh, at least of the roles he was given. It's a miracle he was given Goodwill Hunting and Dead Poets Society. Oh my god, Goodwill Hunting is 
God, that that is an all timer for me, man. I love. That. He also manages to pull it off really well in Good Morning Vietnam at both ends of the spectrum because sometimes he's really thoughtful and serious, and sometimes he's just hilarious. So yeah, and he might have won the Oscar that year had it not been for uh, Gordon Gecko. Greed is good, Michael Douglas. So do you have anything more to say about Palm Springs? Or are you just excited to watch it like me? I'm excited to watch it like you, man. It looks funny. It looks like it has a lot of heart to it. It doesn't just like look like it's going for laughs. So yeah, I'm excited. Well, uh, again, both of those available to stream on the street on uh, Netflix and Hulu on July 10th. Well, hey, we got to talk about Manscaped for just a second. Manscaped is the best in men's grooming. They offer precision engineered tools for all areas of your body, especially the sensitive ones. Now, I will never personally support a product that I don't love and use myself, but I really love these products. And I've gotten to try a couple. I've told you about some of their products, but let me send a quick reminder of what they are. The Lawnmower 3.0 is their third generation electric trimmer with ceramic blades to help avoid nicks and irritation that come from traditional trimmers. The Lawnmower 3.0 also comes with length guards, so you don't always have to get a to the skin feel if that's not what you're looking for. It has a charging stand, a 90 minute battery, an LED light that illuminates the area that you're mowing, and it has a 7,000 RPM super quiet motor. So, really powerful, really quiet. With the Lawnmower 3.0, you will never need another trimmer or razor for your body again. But it's not just the Lawnmower. There's also the Crop Reviver, which gives you an extra spritz of freshness, perfect for when you get off work. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing deodorant that is just perfect for hot summer days right now. For real, I use this product nearly every day. They have their anti-chafing boxes, which is my favorite pair of underwear that I own. And they have a new cologne that I was pretty skeptical about since I already have a cologne that I love. But I really like this one as well, and I'm definitely going to be getting more, especially with this promo. I already tried their body wash and shampoo, and I well, I didn't use it for shampoo because I have one that I love that's special for my, my thinning hair. Uh, I, I, I really like their body wash, and I'm actually going to switch over to using this as my regular one. Uh, it's really that good. Now, all their products are made with active pH balance for your biological chemistry, aloe vera, and some really, really nice scents. You can even get a travel bag made of really nice leather, perfect to carry all of your body grooming needs. And lastly, you can bundle up all of these products in different packages that will feature something special. So here's the deal. Go to manscaped.com and get what you want. Put it in your cart, go to the checkout, and use the promo code SWR, like Sif Pop Writer's Room. That will give you 20% off your order and free shipping. And prices on the website are actually pretty good. They're not bad at all. But 20% off is even better and a great deal. So if you go to manscaped.com, it's 20% off and free shipping with code SWR. Now, let's get on with the show and dive into our SIF topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about Watchmen today. Watchmen's a 2009 movie. It's currently available to stream if you have the DC Universe subscription service. There's a seri- series that premiered last year on HBO Max or just HBO if you have the channel and was recently released on Blu-ray if you don't pay for HBO but you want to watch this check it out on Blu-ray DVD or digital 
I don't get any money for saying that. I just want you to know where you could watch these things, where you can get access to all this stuff. But Watchmen, we, we decided to do Watchmen for the first episode because, well, what's what's a better place to start the Watchmen? For, for two reasons. One is Watchmen is considered arguably the most iconic graphic novel of all time and the most the most definitive comic book story of all time. And that's definitely something I believe to be true. But, but also, there's a really divisive fan base in the movie because some people that have never seen the comic love or hate the movie like it doesn't matter whether you've seen the comic or not this movie is very torn between people that love it and hate it there's very little middle ground and it's 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 such an interesting thing i I wanted to talk about this movie first and we're going to move on to some more some thematic things as we go further into the schedule, so like we're going to talk about the MCU when it comes close to Black Widow's release. We're going to talk about the DCEU when it comes close to Wonder Woman's original release date, since I already had that schedule and decided to push it back. Those jerks uh, ruining the podcast. But the synopsis for Watchmen, if you've never seen it, is in 1985, where former superheroes exist, the murder of a colleague sends active vigilante Rorschach into his own sprawling investigation, uncovering something that could completely change the course of history as we know it. Based off a graphic novel by Alan Moore and David Gibbons, there's been a motion comic DVD Blu-ray release, 2009 release theatrically in March, uh, got, later got a director's cut, and then even an ultimate cut. Ultimate cut is three and a half hours long. Rotten Tomato score is 65% from critics, and IMDb score is 7.8. TV series sequel on HBO by Damon Lindelof. Ben, what is your personal history with this IP? Um, so my history with Watchmen isn't really that complex. Uh, my first exposure to it was at the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight, where I saw the trailer for the first time. It, it premiered with the movie when uh, movies still did that. It stood out to me because it was visually striking, of course, you know, like Zack Snyder usually does. And the song by Smashing Pumpkins was playing, and it's the beginning is the end is the beginning, and it beautifully matched with it. And it kind of echoes, it has a little bit of a deeper theme to it, and I'll probably get around to talking about that too. But unfortunately for me, I was 15 when this movie came out, so I didn't get to sit, see it in theaters. However, I did my research on the movie, and I, I read the novel, and I remember this mo- movie being the last movie I rented from Blockbuster, and I watched it at home with my brother, and I remember liking it. Do you want me to go further on my opinion, or...? Not yet. I just wanted to get a little quick history because I want to give mine uh, before we talk about what we think officially about this movie. I, I've i never had history with the source material for this movie. Uh, I was aware of it when it came into public conscious because I was nine when this movie came uh, – not nine, 14 when this movie came out in 2009. So, I mean, this is not really a 14-year-old's movie. To really appreciate, I think you need to be a little bit older and willing to sit through this in one sitting kind of with your eyes glued on the screen and be willing to appreciate – uh, what what Zack Snyder's trying to do. And so when I was 14, I, I was the the one person I ever knew that this movie is okay. I, uh, everybody else I knew said it, it's either awful or or it's amazing. And I have since moved to one of those spectrums because I, I bought it on Blu-ray. And uh, it, the only reason I bought it on Blu-ray is because it came in this really amazing triple pack. Now, there is no better triple pack ever to be released on Blu-ray, at least not of like movies that are tied to each other. Like uh, I have the Matrix triple pack or I have uh, the Lethal Weapon 4 pack. Like, there's no better comedy. Cornetto trilogy, I have that in 4K in the triple pack. There's no better triple pack than it was the, the V for Vendetta, Watchmen, and Constantine. And I mean that on sheer scale. Like Those are three big comic book properties that were on, on sale. And I, I watched Watchmen a couple times and... 
my views shift slightly one way each time to to one end of the spectrum. So Ben, do you like this movie? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Uh, do you dislike it, or do you think it's just okay? I really like it, almost pushing to the love it. I enjoy the fact that this is really a critique on the superhero genre, even down to the costumes with the nipples. You know, referring back to the 1997. Batman and Robin and how ridiculous that was. And again, going back to the Smashing Pumpkin song, the beginning is the end is the beginning is actually a slowed down version of the song Smashing Pumpkins wrote for Batman and Robin. The end is the beginning is the end. It's, it's a beautiful deconstruction of the superhero myth and hero worship. And Zack Snyder crushed it in a way that really he only can. Um, Now this is a very dense movie i really really enjoy it but it's not one i go back to watch all the time i've only seen it roughly uh four times and the fourth time was me watching the ultimate cut in preparation for this podcast which i enjoy overall yeah i i really really like this movie um close to love it nice uh i'm in the love it category uh i'm on the probably low side of loved it i i think out of a scale of one to ten i'm giving it a nine and it's because I think it's an amazing movie. It's, it's got flaws. I'm not going to say it's perfect or flawless. I think there's one aspect of this story that I don't like, and I'm going to blame the movie and Zack Snyder as opposed to blaming Alan Moore because I think I'd probably that one aspect of the movie would be probably a little bit better fleshed out in the comic book. I, I, I own the graphic novel. It's sitting on the shelf next to me. I also own uh, the Doomsday Clock, uh, the recent issue that's been going, part one. I know part two is, is just recently come out. Uh, I'll get, get around to it in a second, but I haven't even read part one, so... Uh, they're definitely high on my to-do list. They uh, definitely something I want to spend some time on. But I really love this movie. Uh, I think that there's a lot that it has going for it, and we're going to talk about a lot of the things that that really that really go for it. But I, I think to start off right on the bat, uh, I mean the casting is is incredible. Uh, there there are definitely some misses, and we were, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, there are some difference in the cuts. So also clarification: I've never seen the theatrical cut. The only cut I've ever seen is the director's cut, except for one time I've seen the ultimate cut, which the ultimate cut, if you're unaware of the history of this movie, is that the comic book has a Tales of the Black Freighter mini comic spliced into the story. And the director's cut is this full movie. And the ultimate cut is the the Tales of the Black Freighter spliced into the actual film. Yeah, I, I think that I think the defi- the director's cut is the definitive version of this movie because I don't necessarily love the tales of the black freighter stuff i i think i think i would not mind watching it separately i think it's interesting the way they splice it into the story i get that it kind of plays with the same themes but at the same time whenever i get invested in the in the watchman story all of a sudden it cuts the tales of the black freighter and then i get invested in that like it takes me some time to build up to getting invested into each of these and then all of a sudden right when i'm most invested it's going to cut back to watchman it's like now i got to build up anticipation again so uh, i think the director's cut is the best version of this movie what do you think ben well, I have never seen the director's cut. I've seen the theatrical cut. I really, really like it. But the the ultimate cut, as you call it, is really, really good, especially if you're a fan of the graphic novel itself. But as you were saying, the definitive version, at least Zack Snyder, would agree with you. He has said in an interview that he did with Collider, I think, a few years back when they asked him, you know, what was the definitive version of this movie? He says it's the director's cut. He says the Tales of the, the Black Freighter is not really necessary for the story. At least. at least that's my opinion. I don't think it's necessary for the story. It kind of has similar themes overall to the overarching story of Watchmen, but it can take you out of the movie sometimes, the intersplicing of it. 
it's very different. But I still need to watch the actual director's cut, which I guess I've already seen because the ultimate cut is the director's cut with yep. the uh, Tells of the Black Freighter interspliced within it. Yes, and uh, and I don't know the differences between the, the uh, theatrical and the directors, but part of the other reason why I don't really love the ultimate cut is is because you're dealing with the ultimate cut being a three and a half hour movie, and the director's cut is already three hours. And it, same thing with the Irishman. I would lo- I, I think the Irishman could have been two hours and it would have been fine. I'd have probably liked it a lot more. I keep on talking about how much I love long movies, how I wish movies weren't afraid to be long, but like just you don't have to make a movie long just because you want it to be. I mean, there has to be a reason for that movie to be long. To me, Avengers Endgame needed to be three hours long. Uh, to me, Avengers Infinity War needed to be as long as it was. To me, The Godfather Part Two even needs to be as long as it is. Uh, Saving Private Ryan needs to be three hours. I just... I, I don't need I don't know that this Watchmen needs to be three and a half hours. Three hours is is fine, and maybe maybe even a little bit too much. Because so what wound up happening here? Here's why I, I realized, and we can go ahead and just dive into this part of of why I don't like the one part I don't like about this movie is whenever I started watching it, the director's cut in the beginning, I always lose interest. Whenever it's the the Night Owl and Silk Spectre two, or Night Owl two and Silk Spectre two. Uh, whenever they start having their love interest, I get so bored. I'm so disinterested and so disconnected from them. I think a lot of it ha- has to do with, I-, I think part of it is Snyder's fault because some of the ways that things are shot, especially the sex scene is just notoriously one of the worst uh, in all of cinema. See, I, I'm going to, I'll disagree with you there. I, okay. I mean, it sounds weird saying it, but I like the sex scene. <laughs> I, 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 I like the way it's done. <laughs> I like the way it's done. It's just weird. It, it it is, and the music choice is a little different. But yeah, I and the and the lighting is odd. And I get why he did it the way that he did it. Because in the comic book, I, I have it in the down here in the faithful to the source material. Originally, you know, he's impotent the first time they they try to make love, right? But then the second time they do it, it's at Osmodeus's place after everything has gone down. Okay, at least I believe. Anyway, it's been a while. I've been. It was. I was fourteen when I read that, and I haven't read it since. Man, somebody on Twitter is going to come yell at you. Probably. <laughs> Please don't yell at me. But uh, I really enjoy the way their relationship works because it's kind of cute. Because Patrick Wilson as Night Owl, he's kind of this very, very optimistic guy. He's honestly, out of all the people in it in this movie, he's the one that is the bright light. He's not this gray guy. He he's just a good guy. And I can see where that's a little boring, but for someone like me, I, I like seeing that in dark movies. And the way that their their chemistry, I buy it. It's very cute. It's very innocent almost in a way where she's not necessarily innocent. At least I don't get that vibe from her. But from Patrick Wilson's perspective, he is very innocent. And the way that he treats her is very gentlemanlike, and he's always there for her, and he's very he listens to her, and I I just think it's cute. It's, it's a break from all of the dark things that happen within the movie, and I feel like you need that in a in a movie that's very bleak like this. I don't know. I think the bleak parts of Watchmen are the best parts of Watchmen. I think I think that's the stuff that I gravitate to, and that's the stuff that I that puts it in that loved it category for me. I just, uh, I don't know, something about, and again, I, I don't think that the relationship itself is the thing that necessarily throws me off. I think it's, uh, I think it's just where it's at in the story. I think it's the way that it happens. I think it's the way Snyder directs it. I think it's the way that it's written too. I, I think, 
I think there's a lot of things when that when that side love thing that it's just first of all, there's so much going on in this movie that just seems like one extra thing that you could easily just cut out of the movie because their romance really doesn't play into anything else in the future. It's not like their romance has any sort of bearing on what happens later in the movie, but it's, it's, it's also for them as characters, it does bear some weight for them, especially uh, silver specter moving on from her relationship with Dr. Manhattan and realizing she needs someone who's more, more human, more in touch. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Either way, I, 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 every time that part of the movie comes on to me, I want to shut my brain off. I want to open my phone and look at Twitter. And all of this, <laughs> this is exactly what happened to me the first two, three times I watched this movie is I start to get bored. I open up Twitter and all of a sudden where Ozzy Bandeas is in the final. By the way, spoilers in case we weren't clear on that. This is a, these movies are going to be old enough that we're going to be talking, you know, we're going to give you some advance on, on talking about them. So we're not going to worry about holding back spoilers. But uh, all of a sudden from, from the time they make love, I haven't been to take. I haven't been paying attention and where Ozymandias is and they're revealing that he's been the mastermind behind, uh, behind all the bad stuff going on. The kind of the, the final act is happening. And it's just, there's so much that goes on in between there that you need for the final act. And so I always just felt discombobulated and a little tired every time I watched the movie, but uh, I've grown up and I've just tried to, to stick through it. And I think, I, I, I think that's the best way to watch the movie. I have to get through it. And, and then I think it's great. Uh, I think it's really good. I, I think that the ending is iconic. I think that the the opening credits, the with the with the scene of the times, they are changing, and you get the whole history of the Minutemen and the original Watchmen. It's 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 top three movie intros for me of all time. Oh yeah, dude! It's it's so beautiful. It's so well done, so well shot. Like I know Snyder gets a lot of hate, and that's fair because you know all opinions are, are subjective, especially when it comes to movies. And I can only speak for myself, but for me, Zach, no one today does visual storytelling the way that Zack Snyder can do visual storytelling. He is a genius when it comes to that sort of storytelling. And there's no better example than this opening credit scene that you're talking about, man. It's like top three. It's I completely agree. It's, it's probably top three. It's probably number two for me, just behind Inglourious Bastards. But as, if you're talking only specific like montages, I think it's definitely the best montage. The only one that compares is X-Men Origins Wolverine, which yeah. is otherwise oh. not great movie. But there's so much good about that. That and the uh, – I, 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 you can't not talk about the funeral scene at the comedian because that looks exactly like the, the pages that I've seen from, from this Watchmen comic book. It looks, it looks like it was literally from the page, which is going to lead in, into this, this one question I want to ask you is, is, does this feel – does this really feel like a comic book movie or does this feel like it could have just been written by anybody? Does it, does this feel like it needs that comic book source material? Do you feel like, yeah, like not only does this feel like a comic book movie to me, it feels and looks just like the Watchmen comic, like ripped from the pages. Yeah. It is very, very well done. Obviously there is some changes to the source material. Um, again, I wrote some of them down. Don't be too hard on me. It's been a long time since I've read the uh, the novel, uh, but I'll I'll just I'll name a couple whenever we get to the faithful to the source material uh, part. But it's it feels and looks just like the comic. You know, like you were saying, it looks like it's ripped out of the pages. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, if you know, this is very different than if you if you're talking about a novel. You know, if you're talking about like Hunger Games or something, I think Hunger Games did a great job adapting that book. I think if Alan Moore would have been a novel writer instead of a graphic novel writer, instead of a graphic novel writer, I think this would have looked a lot differently. This this very much looks and feels like a comic book movie, 100. You're right; it looks like a lot of these scenes are ripped straight from the pages. So yeah, go ahead, faithful to the source material. I mean, there's, we got to get the obvious out of the way. Uh, the ending still happens in a in a the meaning of the ending still happens. Ozymandias is killing a certain percentage of the population to stop fearing the countries, uh, to stop fearing other countries and to start feeling, fearing Dr. Manhattan. And so, uh, so the ending is still the same in theme, but he uses a different method and it's just to simplify things. And I, I I'm kind of okay with Snyder's choosing to simplify that because that's the one thing that grounds it a little bit more in reality instead of a comic book. So, uh, Aside from that, faith, yeah, that's the big one. Um, faithful to the source material? Yeah, I mean, this is about as faithful to the source material as you can get. Um, it does take some creative liberties, you know, not, Night Owl standing up to Rorschach from the beginning and not really being scared of him in the comic. He kind of is. Uh, like I mentioned, Night Owl and Lori have, uh, or yeah, they have sex in the, what's the name of the ship? Uh, couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't can't think of it instead of as asmodeus's place at least that's from what i remember they did the whole subplot of dr manhattan trying to find more energy uh sources to fill i guess they changed that to feel more current um which adds to the the ending you know all the um heroes having more superhero like abilities instead of just being normal people and like you, you mentioned the ending being changed instead of the giant squid alien that Osmodius uh, creates in a lab to make it the incoming threat of alien invasion, bring the world to unite under one banner. Um, they instead use Dr. Manhattan to make it look, he did all the destruction. And I honestly, I'm okay with it. All of all those changes. I'm okay because it's still in the spirit of the comic, and honestly, I think this ending works a little bit better. Countries uniting to fear this all-powerful being in Dr. Manhattan seems more logical than a random squid alien attacking the United States. Uh, it, does, it doesn't work as well as Dr. Manhattan's destruction, which happened in different places all around the globe. Yeah, I don't. I can't. Uh, I can't speak too much into the faithful source material because I, especially when you talk about something like Watchmen, I know little to nothing uh, because I am only familiar with uh, the 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 movie and the TV show. It's, it's, I can't really tell you much, uh, so I would know relatively nothing. In, in yeah, and again, I'll, I'll preface by saying I have not read this since I was. 14 years old i am now a 26 year old man <laughs> so yeah i well and especially the mind of a 14 year old versus a 26 year old is radically different yeah you know a 26 year old and a 14 year old mind is it's completely different so it, it's it's been a while since i've read this so if i get anything wrong I, I i do apologize don't be too hard on me but you know this this is just from what my memory is hey look i won't be hard on you but i i I can't say the same thing for Twitter because we all know Twitter. <laughs> I think also this is a very timely, uh, it, it's always been a timely story. Uh, when it came out initially in the uh, 70s, am I right? 80s maybe? A early 80s, late 70s. I think it's one of the two. It's it's a really timely story because you're talking, you know, the Cold War is still 
going on and or coming to an end. And, and so there's a lot of tensions between countries and you know, not just the United States and other ones, but there's there's always been a lot of global conflict since uh, since the, I mean, there's always been a lot of global conflict. But uh, there's been a lot more of this. Uh, everybody's just living in fear ever since the introduction of nuclear weapons. And everybody just constantly like, oh, don't you push that button. I'll push our button. It's just like the, the, the message of, hey, let's let's unite together and stop. There's no reason for Americans to hate Russians or Chinese people or or, or African Americans. There's no need for people to hate people, and you know it also brings up this question of is Ozymandias justified? And God, I love movies. My favorite kind of movies are movies that we can walk out of a theater, both of us jaw dropped, and be like, "I need a beer. Let's go talk about this." Yeah, they leave you with a conversation instead of telling you how you should feel. And also, the comic came out and. Uh... 1986. Great. Thanks for fact-checking. No, no problem. Yeah, comic came out in 1986. I know it was the 80s, but... Um, it's set in the 70s. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy movies, especially in this genre, that they don't tell you how to feel. Yes. They just show you how these events happen, and then they leave you pondering with questions, and you kind of have to grapple with them yourself. And Snyder, to, to me at least, has a history of doing those those things, and it to me elevates the comic book genre. And I, I I'm a lover of both DC and Marvel films, and and this to me is it's 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 a movie that that does that. It has that effect where it. It, it makes you ask questions and the comic book is, is the same way. And I, I, I can admire, you know, an artist that, that leaves you having questions and wanting to, like you said, let's go grab a beer. Let's talk about this movie and uh, its themes, its messages, what it really is trying to say. Yeah. I, these are my favorite. These are my absolute favorite kind of movies. I, I don't think there's any, but this is top two examples for me. It's it's this and God baby gone. Uh, are, is this person justified in this action? Yeah. Something that, there's a very good chance that you and I differ on opinions. Uh, it's something, especially something that, that you can go to like, it's so, it's such a, it's such a gray area. Like, Oh, there's so much, there's so many pros and cons. You can't, you can't fault anybody for, for believing in either side. I mean, is, is Aiden Vite, Adrian Vite, is Ozymandias justified by uniting everybody by pitting them a bigger enemy and killing millions of people? Is there, is that justified uh, versus the world still in your war on the brink of uh, of doomsday, on the brink of everybody firing nuclear weapons at each other? So these kind of movies just really get me. I think I think it's such a such an important at least message. So what about, what about uh, we talked about a little bit about the cast? What do you think uh, about the cast? Who who really stands out as this person's amazing, and who really stands out as this person I, I don't particularly love? I honestly I really like this whole whole cast. Again, say what you will about Snyder. But the guy knows how to cast people, except for Jesse Eisenberg. But <laughs> I actually really like that casting. <laughs> I, look, I liked it when they announced it, but seeing it on the screen, nah. I disagree, but that's okay. But for for, for this movie, I really really like the casting, especially Jackie Earl Haley as Warshack. You know the "I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me." That line is just so iconic now. It's so cool. Billy Crudup as Dr. Manhattan is not something I would have done. But then watching it, I'm like, man, I can't picture anybody else playing that. Until, of course, I watched the TV show and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II probably axed the, the heck out of that. I haven't seen the show, but I know the actor and he's amazing. 
but yeah, I think the casting is great, and uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan as a comedian is also another standout. I think he's he's terrific. Uh, there's really no one that stands out as a bad casting for me in here. I, I like it all. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this is a really great casting. We're gonna we're gonna re, uh, talk about the casting each uh, each episode just to kind of you know, who who really stands out as great, who really stands out as okay. To me, the original Silk Spectre, Carla Gugino, is 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 kind of in that middle. Like, doesn't really stand out either way. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is comedian. I think is is great. I love him. I think that of course Rorschach, iconic. Jackie O'Haley is the dude. I, I I don't know the actor's name, but the guy that plays Omnimandeus kind of kind of also is like that. I could see other people taking that role. I th- I think that Jeremy Irons playing Ozymandias in the uh, in the series is perfect, but it's a it's an older version, so you can't you couldn't cast him. Matthew Good plays Ozymandias. Okay, yeah. I, the the two that don't do it for me is uh, Patrick Wilson and Malin Ackerman as Night Owl and Silk Spectre too. I think both of them are fine. I just don't think there's anything about them that really makes them out, outstanding to me. I don't think there's anything about either of them that is it. Is it the performances or the characters? Uh, I oh, probably the performances. I, I think Mal- I think that Silk Spectre two is a little wooden in the movie, uh, but I don't think that she's a little wooden because of the way that she's written. Or because of the way that that she's depicted in the in the graphic novel, especially because seeing her come back in uh, in the Watchmen TV series, I think different actress, different writer, of course, but uh, uh, she's one of my, one of the best characters in the sequel series. And uh, uh, so it's not it's not that I don't like the character. Uh, I think, like I said, I think she's the character is probably written well. I just don't know. I, I think it's probably Malin Ackerman. And again, kind of on paper, sounds like pretty great, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know who you would replace her with, but uh, well, actually, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But because uh, we're going to do a fantasy cast in, in just a second. But uh, yeah, she she to me, she's not great. Uh, I'd put her on the and maybe wasn't the great choice. And Patrick, I think Patrick Wilson is a fine actor just in general. I just I don't know. I never really buy him as Night Owl. And um, I think he I think he grasped the humanity of Night Owl well, but which is an important aspect, arguably the most important aspect of Night Owl. But it's. Anytime he's in the costume, I'm just, I don't, I don't think he's the right fit. And anytime he's in the relationship with Silk Spectre 2, I don't think that's him. But, you know, when he, when he's at the funeral, when he's doing some of the investigative stuff, I think, I think he's, uh, I think he's doing really well. Uh, so he, to me, Silk Spectre 2, Malin Ackerman, she's always mediocre the whole movie. Whereas Patrick Wilson is either amazing or, or just not hitting it for me. Overall, this is a great cast. Most of it takes place from Night Owl's perspective. Uh, a lot of it takes place from Warshak's especially as well. Uh, these characters get a lot of screen time each. Even even the comedian who's killed in the opening scene uh, gets gets quite a bit of screen time and flashbacks. But uh, that's kind of my thoughts on those. Ben, if you were in charge of, of this movie, if you were Zack Snyder, would you change anything and or what would you change? My, so my short answer is nothing. <laughs> My long answer is, you know, I believe in director's vision, be it good or bad. And any additions I would make would probably take away from that vision. You know, it's, it's easy to be, you know, an armchair quarterback and, and try to do things another way and go out there. And, and you know, it, it's, it's different to go out there and actually do it. And it's why I respect filmmakers so much, you know, even if I don't always love what they may have to offer – you know, it's it's always truly just taking back in what they have to offer me. Um, it's also I will never be a director because <laughs> that's a very very difficult job. Um, I think what Snyder did in this movie is incredible. 
And, you know, this might be veering off a little bit, but to me, you know, I don't know if this movie really could be made today. And to me, it, it, it holds up better now because we live in such a time where there's such an influx in the comic book genre. So it's, I, 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 there's not really much I would, I would change about it, but to me, this movie, it was a little, was a little ahead of its time. And I think it can really apply today more so than it did back in 2009 where the MCU was just starting out. It had one, it had two movies. It had Iron Man and Incredible Hulk and the Dark Knight trilogy was still going on. The Dark Knight hadn't been out even a year. I'm going to disagree with you. I I th- you said at the beginning of there that I don't think this movie could be made today. I think I think this movie is always going to be relevant and I think that the TV show is a great example of that because and that came out 6 months ago and holy crap it's more relevant than ever. It might be the most relevant TV show out there, right? Yeah, and and that's that's kind of the point. Is I, I didn't mean uh, that. I don't. I said I I don't know if the movie could be made today the same way. But you're right. I mean, they just did the TV show, so yeah, yeah I stand corrected. I wouldn't make the movie again. I'm really happy that Lindelof decided to do a sequel series instead of just retelling the Watchmen story because we just got it with Snyder, and they're very similar tonally. They're very similar aesthetically. Lindelof bases it off of the graphic novel so it is the squid as opposed to the bombs but uh but there's not much difference and the only thing i'd change about this movie is i would cut a little bit of of time by cutting the relationship between uh night owl and silk specter and it's just such a non-essential like i said there's really not much that necessarily adds to the overall story nothing that necessarily adds too much to the overall themes which uh which are already displayed other places um so and frankly you know, I don't know how long the theatrical cut was, but let's say it's, you know, 2.30. Around 2.30, I think. Okay. Well, the, the, the director's are close to three hours. So I'm not saying I would you could use that to cut out a half an hour, but 10, 15 minutes and maybe that director's cut could have been the, the theatrical. And I think it would have been a little bit less divisive and a little bit more more loved and a little bit more appreciated at its time as well as in the future. So uh, that's, that's, that's just a little bit of my thoughts. That There's not much I would change. I think this is a great movie. Uh, the, the cast is yeah. exceptional. <laughs> The good thing is, I think it's aging very well, and you're hearing more and more people say, "Oh, yeah, it's actually a really good movie." You know, come back and, and watch it, and that's good. And I think it's also starting those conversations about what a morally divisive ending that is. And I think it's also, uh, I think it's getting more people to 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 check out the source material, which is, yeah, great. I'm all for that, uh, especially because it's so iconic and. So, as somebody that hasn't yet seen it but watching the tv series made me I, I actually never owned Watchmen until the the tv series was about to come on and i'm like all right like i gotta get this and uh one of my one of my students was reading it and just he's like yeah you gotta get this so okay i i, I picked it up and it's available everywhere it's <laughs> crazy it, i might have to check it out now i might have to subscribe to hbo max yeah the, for real the series is outstanding which i've talked about before i'm gonna refrain from talking about it anymore because i i don't know that you want to hear me talk about it anymore i mean we could definitely definitely do that some other time but but this is more this this episode is about the movie and that already takes as long enough to discuss well uh but we we put together a list uh we took the main characters so that being night owl silk specter 2 silk specter the comedian ozymandias rorschach dr manhattan and we said, let's do a fantasy cast of this movie. Uh, we just talked about how we there wouldn't be one made today because there just came that one became the one was just released now as well as the the TV series. But let's say there was no existing Watchmen movie or TV series. Uh, we're gonna make one right now. We're we're the casting directors. 
uh, who are you going to cast in these roles? Who are you going to uh, try to get to write and direct this movie? We're not going to always do these, but I think this is a this is a good one to do. The the one caveat we've stipulated is that you cannot cross over between the movies or the TV shows. So why don't you go ahead and run through your list and. Uh, All right. So I have some interesting choices here. I believe you. I ha- I'll start off with Rorschach. Okay. Rorschach, Shia LaBeouf. Okay. I know he's not old. He's not necessarily as old as Decker or Haley was, but Shia LaBeouf can play those unhinged performances very, very well. Yeah, I mean, he was he was doing that really well when he was playing Shia LaBeouf in in the the, the just do it. Yeah, like he has this energy to him that can make you feel uneasy, but also, I mean, he can be very tender too. You watch uh, Peanut Butter Falcon; he's incredible in that. But he, I just, oh yeah, such a an amazing actor. I I just think he can embody someone like Rorschach. He might not be able to get the voice as good, but I, I think he would be amazing. Okay. All right. Night Owl, Ben Affleck. <laughs> ben Affleck is uh, – he's my favorite iteration of Batman, and Night Owl is kind of the nicer version of Batman. And uh, I, I feel like Ben Affleck could really pull that off, and he's, he's an incredible actor. Look at his stuff that he just did in The Way Back, channeling some of his own personal demons – him as Night Owl, I just feel like it's perfect. It's a perfect fit. Um, Doctor Manhattan, okay. Adam Driver. Okay, why? The reason I cast Adam Driver as this is because Adam Driver is a very serious and stoic actor. Yes, he can do, you know, very emotional roles like he does in the Star Wars films as Kylo Ren or what's that movie he just did? Marriage Story. Yeah, Marriage Story. He can do those subtle performances and then have those outbursts of emotions now dr manhattan doesn't necessarily have those outbursts of emotions there's that one scene where he does in the movie where he says you know the leave me alone scene but i just feel like adam driver is the best actor from his generation and can definitely embody dr manhattan okay um comedian mel gibson (laughs) i love it to me that is perfect my nicholas cage was very close Nicholas Cage was very close. <laughs> I love Nicholas Cage. But I decided to go with Mel Gibson here. And okay, okay. is because the comedian is an unhinged jerk. He is a jerk character. And Mel Gibson, who I am a huge fan of as an actor, is also a jerk. <laughs> he, he can, you know, his past is 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 is, you know, well. Yeah, I can so I think he would be perfect as the comedian because again he he is a terrific actor um, despite some some things. Osmodius, kind of on the nose, Benedict Cumberbatch. I feel like he would be perfect for the role. Silk Spectre, I have Blake Lively. Uh, the Silk Spectre two or the older? Uh, excuse me, Silk Spectre two, Blake Lively. Um, I believe she is an incredibly underrated actress. I didn't necessarily like A Simple Favor. I did. But she was amazing in it. Okay. Silk Spectre, uh, the original Silk si- ah, can't say that word. Silk Spectre, I would go with Kate Blanchett because besides the street monster, she is the greatest actress working today. The director, Denis Villeneuve. Okay. He is an incredible visionary director. 
Blade Runner 2049 was my favorite film of 2017. What's that movie he did? Prisoners is an incredible film. Not an easy movie to watch. Yep. Arrival, Enemy. Yeah. He's just an amazing director, and I cannot wait for Dune. And I'll leave off with the writer, Chris Terrio. I love Chris Terrio as a writer. I love the way that he writes characters. I love the way that he writes with, with genre stuff like this. He writes it very mythically, and if that's even a word. Man, you're such a DCEU fanboy. <laughs> well, it's not even that I'm a DCEU fanboy. The guy won an Oscar for Argo. That's okay. I'm, hey, I'm an MCU fanboy. We bring him <laughs> Well, I love the MCU too, but there, there's something about Chris Terrio as a writer I just really like. You know, I, I know you dislike The Rise of Skywalker, and that's okay. I love that movie, and I, I love his writing style. And the Ultimate Edition of BBS really allowed him to further that. I think. And again, he has an Oscar on his mantle for, for Argo, which was the best picture winner of, uh, for the year 2012. So yeah, th- those are, those are my, uh, those are my picks, man. What do you think? Yeah, it's a bit, be a very interesting movie. Uh, some of them, uh, I have one actor that crosses over from your list to mine. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about mine. Uh, I, I would watch your movie. I, I, def- I really would. But if you were a studio, would you green light it? <sighs> I mean, Budgets aside, I don't know how many changes I would make. Uh, if you proposed that and they all agreed, I I think I'd be like, okay, I think, I think you're all right. Perfect. It's a go picture. <laughs> I'm going to go in the order that you went. So I'm going to start off with my Rorschach. Uh, this is where I have Adam Driver. Because huh? I, I I specifically thought of marriage, role, marriage story for this role. Uh, and specifically his scene of the apartment fight with Scarlett Johansson where he gets so emotional and it's the yelling. And I, I, I see, I see glimpses of Rorschach in prison in that uh, Rorschach. Rorschach is the most emotional character in this movie to me, which is weird. Cause he's a mostly pretty, pretty stoic sort of figure, especially wearing his mask. You don't see his face a lot of it. And, uh, and that might, you know, hinder some of the drive. They might, you know, marketing might be like, well, we want to see Adam driver's face cause he's really popular. But I, I just, I think that, that he can't, because he carries that emotion because he's such a, an emotion-filled actor. I, I, I really see him as Rorschach, but he also – Rorschach's also a detective, so uh, we've seen him play those kind of roles you know, in, in the report and whatnot. Uh, Rorschach is the hardest role to cast. Uh, sorry, Ro- Rorschach is tied with the hardest role to cast for, for a potential remake. I like Adam Driver in this. So that's my one crossover. Uh, nice that we got that out of the way. For Night Owl, I'm going to go with Oscar Isaac. Okay. So we have a little bit of a Star Wars crossover here. I like him. I think he's a great leading man. I think he could he could bring a little bit of the the darkness to that character because the end of the movie leaves him a pretty pretty dark person. And I think that you know, seeing him in like Ex Machina can bring that out. But but Oscar Isaac, I think, is a pretty lighthearted person in general. And you're right. If if Night Owl is that optimist, I think Oscar Isaac is is the great guy to play both those spectrums. So. That's my Night Owl. My Dr. Manhattan. Now, this was one I struggled with uh, with a lot, and it's I'm a little less confident about it than when I set out of Driver's Rorschach. But uh, I pick Lucas Hedges, and the thing about Dr. Manhattan is you don't see him in his human form very often, and so you really have to rely. He's a very stoic person, so honestly, one of a million people could play his motion capture in my mind and maybe i'm completely wrong on that but it's it's the scene where he's turned into dr manhattan and and also the scene uh where he's being interviewed the two where he actually shows some real emotion and depth and i mean i I think of lucas hedges in manchester by the sea and i think of him i immediately thought of the scene where those two scenes where he's transformed and that and i just and and where he's uh, where he's in the interview getting hounded and i i just thought he carried he's such a great emotional actor that that he 
he he could breeze through the the stoic stuff, but really bring a new level to to some of that. That's a good pick. Some of that emotion filled stuff. Uh, next is the comedian. Uh, I have Andy Circus in this role. And I really thought about having Andy Serkis as Dr. Manhattan because why not have the greatest motion captured actor ever play arguably the most iconic motion captured character ever? Eh, maybe Gollum, but uh, I don't know. I think Andy Serkis, I really like seeing him as an actual actor. I, I think he's he's finally getting his due. And the comedian is such a subtle role. role and uh, and Andy Serkis is, 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 is king of of portraying emotion with his face and body since he's been so doing motion capture so well. So I, I think that uh, the, com- the comedian has a lot of subtleties to him, which is why I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays him really well. And so I think Andy Serkis could just nail those subtleties and probably be a little bit more of a light take, like a little bit more of a light performance as opposed to Jeffrey Dean Morgan is uh, he's, he's always got a smile on his face, but he's a really dark character. Yeah. He's an incredibly dark character, but He's an incredibly dark character that in some points in the movie you do feel a little sympathy for, if that makes sense. Yes. We've seen Andy Serkis play characters that are like that. Gollum being one of them. Yeah. You have sympathy for Gollum and what he's gone through and he's tormented, but you're also like, man, I don't like Gollum. (laughs) He's awful. So it's. Yeah, that that that's a good call, man. You're absolutely yeah. right about Andy Serkis. I also I also for a while thought about having him as Rorschach, but I yeah I wanted I wanted to give him more of a role that he could actually stand out in and and maybe work on a little bit more of the subtleties. So uh, next is Ozymandias, and I uh, I initially had Alfie Allen in this. Who, who is he playing Game of Thrones? Alfie Allen plays uh, Reek Theon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's also in the first John Wick movie. If you're, unf- uh, he's in uh, Jojo Rabbit. If you're unfamiliar with who he is, but uh, I, I initially thought about him because I think he he could do really well. But then I thought, what about Adam Scott, uh, Ben Wyatt from Parks and Recreation, and Trevor from The Good Place? I I I think he can carry that rich, snooty, snobby philanthropist, maybe a little dark in a really interesting way. And a lot of that was motivated by me seeing him in the good place where he's like uh he's just an over-the-top douche in that movie but also like Brendan huff and stepbrothers <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah i i i picked adam scott because he also definitely could play richest man in the world uh super famous lives in antarctica or whatever they wherever they are like uh hides a castle and tries to end the war tries to kill millions of people i think he could i think you pull that off yeah it's uh, a good pick for Silk Spectre number two, so the younger version, I'm going with Angela Serafian. She, the only role I know her in is she plays Clementine in Westworld. Do you watch Westworld? I've never seen it. Okay. It's uh, it's really great. She plays uh, this character who in season one is a prostitute at a saloon. But her character really gets some get some stuff to work with, especially in season two. I, I picked her because I, th- I want to see her in more stuff. I think she's great. She's uh, She's pretty young. She 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 seems to play a lot of a lot of emotion and can handle carry that stuff well uh, in Westworld. So I picked her as my Silk Spectre too. And for my Silk Spectre original, I picked Marissa Tomei. Oh, good pick. I, I think she's incredible. Marissa Tomei specifically like the wrestler and before the devil knows you're dead era. That kind of that kind of Marissa Tomei. Not so much this fun Aunt May, <laughs> but either way, I, th- I still think she's got a lot in a lot of that in her. And so uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, I think I'm pretty happy with my list, considering we especially like compiled it like ten minutes before we decided to record. But uh. yeah, <laughs> this is a pretty good list. Uh, do you have a who who you would uh, direct and write it? 
Yeah, uh, it's actually the same person. Um, really? Yeah, and it's just it's one of those things that I thought, man, this could could be amazing or terrible. Uh, but I'm gonna err on the side of amazing. Definitely could be divisive. I'm having my Watchmen written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Ah, nice, nice, nice. I mean, he wouldn't. It wouldn't be as original of a story. You know, he's mostly known for doing those. You know, even with Star Wars: the Last Jedi being his most known work. So, but I think he could manage to find a way to make it really creative. He he's one of the smartest screenwriters out there. If you don't believe me, just watch Knives Out now streaming on Prime. Again, not paid to say that. Just mm-hmm. Knives Out is just such a, such a incredibly smart, creative movie that. And here's another reason why I want to pick him is because Knives Out is not based off of anything that Agatha Christie wrote, but you could you could definitely tell me that this was based off an Agatha Christie book. And I want him to do that same thing with Watchmen. I want it to feel like Watchmen, but I want him to to make it his own. I want it to, to really have its own aesthetic. Bec- and, and part of that is because I want to glorify the source material in that way. But I don't I don't know that I need a, a straight from page to the uh, to the screen adaptation. That's a gamble if you're, uh, especially if you're not a Last Jedi fanboy like me. But uh, that's that's my thing. Especially if you have Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac in your leading roles, working again with Ryan Johnson. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm as big of a, a fan as uh, as you are of the Last Jedi. So we're both there. But but again, I, I picked this mostly off of Knives Out. Not uh, no, it's a very very fun movie. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Um, Ryan Johnson's in a and an incredible filmmaker. If I were a Studio head, I would give you the green light, my friend. Nice, I appreciate that. I th- I think totally. Also, I'd try to make it a little lighter, just because to to make it a little bit more accessible. Yeah, uh, especially since the graphic novel itself is really dark. So very, very dark. a little bit of contrast. Right. Well, I I had a great time talking about Watchmen. Do you have any any last thing that you wanted to say about it? No, nah, man. I think we covered all the bases. It's it's a really really good movie that is is today even more prominent than it was back in 2009 when it came out. It's it's a very very rich movie. It's it's very heavy. It's very well acted. Visually it's stunning. Uh Zack Snyder again proving he he is a visionary when it comes to being a, a director and sometimes that makes his movies a little bit devi- divisive and Sometimes movies like that end up being looked out or looked back on as some of the best films ever made. You know, look at The Shining, look at films like Blade Runner. Um, it happens a lot. So, yeah, I really, 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 really like Watchmen. Well, uh, hey, next time you're going to be on the show in a month, uh, we're going to be talking about the DCEU as it currently stands. So Man of Steel up to Birds of Prey. Uh, we're going to be talking about each one of those movies in a little bit less detail, but just more of a general overall setting for work on some time, because uh, that was supposed to be right around the time that Wonder Woman 1984 released. But uh, I'm not going to let COVID change the recording schedule. We're just going to go ahead and still talk about the DCEU. And we're going to be doing the coming attraction for Wonder Woman 1984, even though it was pushed back. Um, again, I'm not going to let COVID change change my schedule on this one, uh, since it's going to still fit in. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff coming out that fits really well. Um, so, you know, you're finally going to get me to watch the Batman versus Superman ultimate cut. Cause I still have only seen it once in the theaters and hated it. And you know, I've, I've been told it's a completely different experience. So, well, it's, uh, man, God, I hope so. <laughs> we'll talk about the DCEU next, uh, next time. So make sure to get caught up on those movies. If you haven't seen them, uh, and we'll be talking Wonder Woman 1984. And, uh, we don't have a B plot for you this week. We don't have uh, something that we're going to explore. So quick reminder, we just want to let you know that if you want to send us something that we want to, that you want us to discuss on the show, 
uh, please send that. You can email that to writersroom at sifpop.com or you can send that to, to me via Twitter uh, on my DMs. And, uh, and we would love to answer your question on the show to really explore something. We don't have one for you this week, which is okay because we're already in a pretty long episode. But uh, but we got one last thing before we wrap up, and that is uh, the spinoff. So, Ben, what is one thing in pop culture that you want to tell everybody to either watch or to stay away from? I'm going to err on the side of positivity. And okay. I'm going to recommend The King of Staten Island. It is a movie directed by Judd Apatow. So it is a little long. It's funny, but this one's more of a dramatic movie. And it starts stars Pete Davidson. Um, it's kind of an autobiographical movie about his life. And it's really about a movie about a kid who's in his mid-20s that still hasn't quite got his life figured out yet. And him trying to navigate how to handle his future and what to do with it. And I found the film to be, at least on that standpoint, very, very relatable. It has a lot of heart. It's got a lot of dark humor in it. Uh, and Bill Burr is shows that he's got some acting talent in him, as well as just being one of the funniest human beings in the world. So that is my recommendation for you Sith Pop crew. Great. Yeah, uh, Frank and I talked about that on episode two, and I'm really happy to hear a lot of the positive reviews that have been coming from that. So I uh, appreciate your thought on that. I'm going to and I'm going to tell you about a movie that I relived from my childhood that probably I shouldn't have watched as a child uh, that I I have. Gosh, I, I don't know that I'm if I'm recommending this movie uh, or if I am telling you to stay away from it. So I'm doing a little bit of both. <laughs> So the, there's a there's a movie that came out in 2000. I don't know how big of a hit it was. Uh, so I have no idea if you have even heard of this movie, but it's called The Whole Nine Yards. Have you heard of this movie? Oh, The Whole Nine Yards? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Bruce Willis, Matthew Perry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a Bruce Willis, Matthew Perry joint. And uh, it's got some other recognizable names in it. Roseanne Arquette, Amanda Peet, uh, Michael Clark Duncan has a pretty good role, a pretty sizable role in it. Now, this is a movie that I watched as a kid because, as I, as I mentioned with Dexter, my parents didn't necessarily have uh, any – restrictions on what i watched as a child and so i I just i thought it was a fun kind of silly comedy and i rewatched it again a couple days ago because it recently had a blu-ray release and i was like man i want to i want to relive that movie uh because i remember really enjoying it but the rotten tomato scores is like a 45 percent maybe about right (laughs) there are are parts of it i enjoy i think the i think the overall structure of it is is great i kind of would love to see this movie remade and just done better either straight up lean into screwball comedy and cast some really funny people like bill Hader in the role or uh or 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 lean into a serious crime drama i think either one of them can work i just don't think this movie does a great job of blending the two uh and i don't know who to blame on it but uh you know it, it was um I, I enjoyed it, but mo- a lot of it was for nostalgia's sake. So I don't know that this is something you should necessarily seek out uh, or you should necessarily uh, stay away from. But I'm, I'm just going to give you a couple couple notes to, to for you to make your, that decision for yourself. So uh, the movie is uh, Matthew Perry uh, grew up in Chicago and then moved to Montreal. And uh, a hitman from Chicago moves next to him and Matthew Perry recognizes him. He got in trouble for adding out the gang. And so... Is a is a big convoluted almost Guy Ritchie. I would love to see Guy Ritchie remake this movie. Actually, very convoluted plot where Matthew Perry's wife is trying to have him murdered by a hitman, and Matthew Perry winds up having accidentally giving away the location of where 
uh, Bruce Willis, this hitman is. It's it's a it's a really complicated thing. Everybody's trying to kill everybody. Everybody is in the professional killing business uh, in some way or another, and uh, it, it's got some screwball comedy mo- moments too. But uh, it's got some dark, serious moments too. And uh, gosh, I I don't know whether to tell you to go watch this movie or not. Uh, if any of that sounds intriguing to you, if you just want to watch a movie that you could be mildly amused by, then check it out. It's a really expensive movie to watch, actually, though. I just get the DVD, though, because I watched it on Blu-ray, and honestly, there's no picture audio difference. I remember liking the movie. It's funny. It's got some funny parts in it. It's been a couple of years since I've watched it. I probably I probably should rewatch it, but I like I liked it more as a kid. So uh, if you're in high school, this this is a good movie for you. If you're uh, if you're an adult, I don't, I don't really know if I'm necessarily recommending it, but uh, there's a lot of things that I found that really made me mad, especially I'm a big hockey fan. And if Matthew Perry grew up in Chicago, he would have been a Blackhawks fan. And, and if he, especially when he moved to Montreal, because Montreal is also an original six six team, just like hockey or just like Chicago. And so he would have been a Montreal Canadians fan, but he's wearing an Ottawa senators shirt when he's mowing the lawn. It's like, none of that makes any sense. There's no reason for it to take place in Montreal. Like I found myself so frustrated at that, and I don't know why. As a hockey fan, you were annoyed. <laughs> I'm so annoyed because, like, it, nobody would move to Montreal and become a Senators fan, especially if they already came from an Original Six franchise. They'd stick with Original Six and go to Montreal, but also... I'm a, I'm a Hurricanes fan, so... <laughs> hey, I like the Hurricanes. I think they're okay. Bunch of jerks. <laughs> Well, that's a wrap for us. We're gonna quick reminder that Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore the B plot, then email us at writersroom at sifpop.com and I will get you connected to the right people. Uh, or I, I will uh, figure out a way to work your comments and questions into the show. Reminder to subscribe, tell all your friends about us, give us a rating if you're using iTunes. I would really appreciate all of that. And if you want to support the show, help out with some of the costs that we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipment, and rental, you can Venmo me at Schweitcastle or DM me from my PayPal email that you can send some money to that way. Uh, but also that at Schweitcastle, that's how you can find me on Twitter. Uh, but Ben, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I occasionally post movie blurbs for the newest movies that come out. It's also where I uh, post and share my own personal podcast, Ben Davis Movie Podcast. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at John underscore Benjamin underscore, which is where I will occasionally write a small thing about usually movies, and that's usually about it. <laughs> Yeah, also a uh, clarification that's John J O H N underscore Benjamin. I always feel yes. like I want to make that make that clear. So make sure you find him. Uh, give him a follow, give him give him some likes, some retweets, interact with him because I'm sure he'd love to continue that conversation with you. But uh, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Really love talking movies with you. We'll do it again in about a month. Yeah, man. Sounds good. It's been a, a, a pleasure being on here with you talking Watchmen, and I cannot wait to continue to do this podcast with you, man, because it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh yep. I'm really excited for the next time that we meet together. But until then, back to the writer's room for us. Mm-hmm.